Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Well, I want to encourage you to find your Bibles this morning. We are turning our attention. It's kind of a bittersweet day today, because we are in the last paragraph of the book of James. This is message number 16, and we have just been working paragraph by paragraph through this book. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one underneath, a chair rack close by, maybe just right in front of you or down a chair or two to your left or to your right. Please use that that copy of God's Word. Take that home. That is our gift to you. Page 952 in that copy will get you right to James chapter 5. We're going to read these last two verses in just a moment, but we've entitled this series Gospel on the Ground. We've been seeking through uh, the Spirit's help to understand the gospel, not just the why of the gospel, but the what and the how. And Pastor James, who is really the first pastor of the church that has been under the gospel in the first century, these are Jewish believers they had never related to God. Nobody had ever related to, the God through, through, to God through the gospel before. These are the first Christians to ever exist. And so the gospel was brand new. We, we understand it maybe more fully today. We've had, we've had time. We've had centuries. We've had, we've had theologians who've helped us to understand it and articulate it. But for them, it was brand new. And so James is very practical. It's very much the what and the how. Let's get the gospel, let's put some handles on it, let's put it in our pockets, let's take it with us on Monday morning. And he's coming to the conclusion of this letter, and I've entitled this particular message, Community Project. Community Project. Now before we read our text, I'm wondering this morning, have you ever had a unique advantage that put you ahead in life? Maybe you had a relative who passed on and they left you a large sum of money and that financial sum of money just sort of allowed you to excel and get ahead of other people in your life. Or maybe you've had some unique experiences that have played a role in your career that have allowed you to excel and do really, really well. Maybe, maybe physically, maybe you're a little bit taller and you've had an advantage in basketball or, or you've just been a little bit more athletic just because of the way that you've been built and you've had some, some kind of an advantage in life. Well, true story. About a week and a half ago, I won a push-up contest at my gym. We don't, that's not like mission moving forward or anything. I appreciate that. But in, in all honesty and um, humility, I, I, I must admit that I won third place, not first place. So it was bronze, but I still won. I still made it on the board. So here's what happened. I walked into the gym a couple weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, and I was with my oldest son, and they had a little whiteboard there, and there was this competition. How many push-ups can you do in 60 seconds? And I walked by this board, and it was actually the last day of this competition, and the guy who was at the top had 78. 78 push-ups in 60 seconds. I looked at my 12-year-old and said, I can beat that. <laughs> I can beat that. I knew I could do that. So with my 12-year-old as my witness and the college student from behind the counter who came over to time me, in 60 seconds, I knocked down 82 push-ups. Knocked that guy off the top. Now, before you get too excited, somebody came in later that day and did 84, and then somebody came after them and did 87. 
So I didn't get first place, but I did get third place. Now, why do I share that story with you? I share that story because I have a unique advantage when it comes to that specific competition. My, my muscle-to-weight ratio favors me for that type of a competition. I am built for speed and endurance. There are other guys in that gym who are built for power. They can, they can bench press far more than I could. They could probably do more push-ups than me, but in that abbreviated amount of time of 60 seconds, I have a unique advantage just because of the way that I'm built. And so now I've got bragging rights with my 12-year-old son as well. Do you understand that as a follower of Jesus, you and I, we have a unique advantage that allows us to excel in our spiritual formation and in our discipleship in following Jesus. And that unique advantage is our gospel community. We have each other. That's an advantage that not everybody else in the world has. That's certainly an advantage that unbelievers don't have. That we have one another, and God has intended for this community, I mean those within this room who call City Point Church home and family, we have one another, and that serves as a unique advantage to us as we seek to put the gospel where it belongs, on the ground, as we follow after Jesus as his apprentices in this life. And so what James is going to share with us here is, again, he's going to highlight in just two simple, short verses the advantage of gospel community. I want you to see it. Look at chapter 5, verse 19 and verse 20. This has been James's favorite address this entire letter. My brothers, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What a beautiful set of verses. This is what God has called us to do and to be for one another as a unique advantage to one another. So I want to give you a big idea that sits over top of this text, and we'll unpack it for the next 30 minutes or so. And it's this. If you're writing some things down, you can write this down. Faithfully following Jesus is a community project. Faithfully following Jesus, being an apprentice, being one who is walking the way of Jesus, it is a community project. I don't know if you've ever signed up for a community project, but let's just imagine you did and you pull up at a park or maybe a local school and you know that they're going to paint some buildings and they're going to mow some grass and they're going to pull some weeds and you pull up at the time that has been assigned and as you pull into the parking lot of that community park area for that community project, you realize that you are the only one. It's not much of a community project, is it? God never intended for you to follow him alone. Faithfully following Jesus is a community project. And I've got to tell you this morning that isolation is Satan's tactic. Community is God's. And so if you're here this morning and maybe you, maybe you drug yourself in, maybe you didn't want to be here, maybe you felt the pull towards isolation, that is not God. That is not the work of the Spirit in your life. 
Isolation is Satan's tactic. Anything to get you on the edge, on the fringe, or even outside of that fringe so that he can take that hot coal, that hot ember from the fire and separate it so that it will become lifeless, cold, and gray. That's his tactic. But God's tactic for you and for me, his strategy for your spiritual formation and following after him is that you would be very much in the center, a part of the community, and that this community would be a part of that spiritual formation in your life. So here's Pastor James. Boy, he has been teaching us, hasn't he? He has been just shooting straight with us for 16 weeks. He's about to sign off on this letter, fold it up, seal it, stamp it, and send it. I don't know that he had a stamp, but he was about to send it. But before he does, he's got one final admonition to this group of scattered Jewish believers. And his admonition is, I'm leaving you all in charge of one another. You are responsible for one another. And so faithfully following Jesus then is a community project. So the question we want to answer this morning is why? Why is faithfully following Jesus a community project? Our text is going to answer that question. I want you to see the three reasons that James articulates in these two short verses why faithfully following Jesus is a community project. If you're keeping notes, it's going to look like this. Faithfully following Jesus is a community project because, number one, spiritual drift is a real threat. Spiritual drift is a real threat. He says in verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now let's unpack this for a moment. It's just a short phrase, but there's a lot in it. First, James is specifying the jurisdiction. If anyone among you. Our jurisdiction is those who are here, those in this expression of the church. We are not responsible to one another. We are not responsible for the Christians across the street or across town. Our community is those who are among us. And what James is emphasizing here is that relationship must precede restoration. You cannot know the people that are not among you. You cannot be known if you are not among the people of God. And so there cannot be restoration because we don't know one another if we are not among one another. So our jurisdiction is those of us here. It seems like social media has caused people to think that their jurisdiction is much larger than it really should be. And even this past week, I saw a pastor reprimanding other Christians on social media for different decisions that they might make. And I'm like, listen, that's not your jurisdiction. Your jurisdiction is the people of God that he has called you to shepherd and lead. And for us as a community, James makes very clear, if anyone among you. And here's, here's the interesting thing. He's writing to scattered believers. The audience is going to be people that are all over, and yet he's emphasizing those that are with one another. That's the jurisdiction. But then he describes the drift. He says, if anyone among you wanders. And that word means exactly what it sounds like. This could be intentional. This could be unintentional. This could be minor drift. This could be major drift. This could be active drift. This could be passive drift. This wandering is just something that happens to us. And then he identifies the default. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. What are we wandering from? What are we defaulting away from? We are defaulting away from the truth. Well, what is the truth? What is the plumb line? What is the true north for followers of Jesus? It is the person and work of Christ. It is the gospel. The finished work of Jesus is what is true. And so truth comes in what we believe, but it also comes in how we behave. 
It comes in what we believe because that's doctrine, that's teaching, but it also comes in how we behave and how we live in accordance to and in response to that teaching and that doctrine. And much of what James has been teaching has been an emphasis on the behavioral side of that truth. He's been talking to us about our tongue, about wisdom from above, about making decisions if the Lord wills, about how to properly avoid the pitfalls of money. This is very much the behavioral side, and yet truth needs to be an alignment in our life, both in what we believe as well as how we behave, and oftentimes these two are connected. Paul, another writer of the New Testament, said in Galatians, but when I saw their, notice this, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He's identifying that their behavior was not lining up with their belief. I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's what's going on. Paul is actually practicing what James is teaching here to Peter. Peter was behaving in a way that was not in line with the belief of the gospel, and so Paul is confronting him, and he's calling him back to truth because Peter had wandered from that. So you might ask yourself this morning, well, how does this kind of wandering happen? How does this spiritual drift happen in the life of a believer? We have a threefold enemy the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the systems and the culture and the beliefs around us that are contrary to God. It is the media outlets, it is the educational systems that oftentimes are trying to pull us away from what God has intended for us. And if we're not careful, we can get our minds wrapped up in the way and the thinking of the world around us, and that becomes an enemy to the truth. Well, then there's the flesh. That's the enemy that lives inside the camp. When we are drawn away of our own lust, as James taught us in chapter 1, these are those default sinful tendencies that are a reflection of the old us before Jesus. We are still drawn back, oftentimes as like a magnet towards those sinful desires and so there's the world there's the flesh and then there's the devil the demonic spiritual activity that is still very much at work today and often underneath the work of the world and the work of the flesh in our lives and I have found that Satan rarely takes us out with a sniper bullet it's rarely just one and done but it's the incessant barrage pelting us over and over and over and over and over. It's the finances and it's the marriage and it's the kids and it's the job and it's the stress and it's the health and it's all of these things piling on so that eventually we slowly begin to wander. We slowly begin to fade away from the truth of Christ. A pastor in a rural town once asked a farmer, how do cows get lost? I mean, it seems like pretty hard to lose a cow you know what I mean like they're big so this pastor asked this farmer in this rural country how do you how does a how does a cow wander off and get lost and the farmer said well it's pretty simple cows just kind of get focused on this little tuft of grass right here and they nibble on this until it's gone and then they lift up their head and they look for the next green grass and they sort of wander over to that and they start nibbling on that tuft of grass and when that's gone they lift up their head and they see another tuft of grass and they wander over there and that tuft of grass is right by the fence and there's a hole in the fence and when that little tuft of grass is gone they look up outside the fence and there's another one and before long they've just sort of wandered off and they've nibbled themselves into lostness that's often how it is in our lives isn't it it's not just one thing that takes us out 
we just sort of slowly nibble ourselves into lostness. We wander away. And it's this series and this pile on of events and things in our life that causes that drift to happen. And so the community that God has called us to be is the type of a community that embraces the mess. Can we just be honest this morning? We're all a mess. And I said this last week, the, the gospel allows us to embrace that mess, to embrace the brokenness, but it doesn't leave us hopeless. And the reason we can embrace the brokenness and the mess because of the gospel without being hopeless is because we have one another. It's because God has called you to look out for me and me to look out for you and us to look out for one another. And so when one of us starts to wander, we're not wandering alone. But somebody notices and comes to rescue and to call us back to the truth of Jesus. Sometimes we're helping others in their mess. Sometimes someone else is helping me in mine. But all the while we are being called from our mess back to Christ. And I would even say this, that you and I are not capable of seeing the drift in our own lives. Not nearly as clearly as someone else is capable of seeing it. We just get caught up in our tuft of grass, don't we? We're just kind of nibbling here and, this is, and then we, that gets done and we go on to the next one. We don't see it as much in our own lives as our community and those around us who love us and are concerned for us see it in our own lives. So before long, we're a lot further away from the truth than we ever intended or desired to be. And we need somebody else to point it out, to call us back. So we embrace that mess of gospel community. Faithfully following Jesus is a community project because spiritual drift is a real threat. Number two, faithfully following Jesus is a community project because restoration is a top priority. Restoration is a top priority. Look again at verse 19. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and notice this, and someone brings him back. And someone brings him back. Brings him back to what? Brings him or brings her back to the truth. Back to that spiritual identity in Christ. Back to the behavior that is in, li in line with the belief of the gospel. Back to the truth. This is such a beautiful expression of community, and it happens and should be happening all the time. This happens when one mom pulls aside another mom and says, hey, I've noticed the way you've been talking to your kids. They're image bearers of Christ. The gospel gives a better way. This happens every time somebody in a life group notices that somebody else in a life group hasn't been around for several weeks, and they shoot them a text, man, I'm concerned about you. You're doing okay. I've missed you. You want to grab coffee? Do we need to pray? Do we need to talk through this? How's it going? This happens every time maybe a pastor or a spiritual authority in somebody's life says, I've noticed a pattern in your life. You've gotten into a rut of sinful behavior and it's taken you away from the truth. And every time and any time that somebody does that in the gospel community, we are, we are prioritizing this rescue. Restoration is a top priority. Last week, the emphasis was on the sinner confessing coming to the community to confess their sin and that community praying over them. Now the emphasis is on the community to go after the one that doesn't even recognize at oftentimes the fault in their life and to call them to confession and repentance to come back. And so the goal of restoration is always back to the truth. He says, and someone brings him back. In chapter 1, James told us in chapter 1 and verse 18, 
speaking of the gospel, of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So it is the word of truth that brings us into a relationship with Christ. It is the word of truth by which we have salvation. There are not multiple truths that contradict each other because then you have no truth. There is a truth, and the truth of the gospel is that Jesus took on the form of man to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserve because of our sin, and now by simple faith in him, we can have new life in his name. That is the truth of the gospel. And when someone comes by faith, to that moment of decision to receive Christ, James is saying that they have been brought forth. They have literally, that word brought forth means to be birthed by the word of truth. And so it is that word of truth now that has birthed us into a relationship with God. And it is that word of truth by which we walk and live as followers of Jesus. And so when we wander from that truth, restoration is calling us back to that truth. Who Jesus is and what he has done. Now here's what I see in verse 19. I see in verse 19 that the community is a place of protection. Implicit here is that when you wander from the community, it's a place of danger. It's a place of hurt. It's a, it's a place of further downfall and potential pain in your life. And so to come back to the community, that's a place of protection. But I also see that you must be in the community in order to be rescued by the community. And maybe this is why some people avoid community. They don't want the accountability. You've probably heard it said that you can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. That's true. That's very much true. Let me give you another statement that's just as true. You can't help somebody that's not here. For you to be rescued from your wandering back to the community, you've got to be among us, as James said. Allowing the protection of the family, the spiritual family that God has given to you. But here's what else I see, and I love this. Get this. This is so cool. That restoration is everybody's responsibility. Notice what he says in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone, anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone, again, could be any one of us, brings him back, let him know that Whoever that person might be has saved a sinner from death, a soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. The emphasis here is that anybody and everybody within the gospel community can be doing this. This is not a call specifically for the elders or the pastors of the church. This is not a call specifically for those in leadership. This is a call for you to notice and to be aware of the people in your gospel community. This is not, well, you've been saved a certain uh, length of time, so now you can practice this. Or you're in a certain position in the church, so this is your responsibility. This is every one of us, folks. Every single one of us are called to practice verses 19 and 20. I want to give you two cross-references that I hope will help to further explain what's going on in verse 19. One of them is from the ministry of Christ, Matthew 18. I'm going to put it up on the screen here for you. Because Jesus, not only did he teach what James is teaching. I should say it the other way. James is teaching what Jesus taught, but Jesus also modeled it. Look at this here, Matthew 18, verse 15. This is Jesus teaching. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained, you've rescued your brother. 
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if, this is that wanderer again, if he refuses to listen to them, to the two or three, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, which means an outsider, or a tax collector, which is essentially a traitor. What is Jesus teaching here? He's teaching that there's three steps in this restoration process. The first is that you go individually, and, and if, you, if the brother who's wandered listens, you've gained your brother. The second step is that you take two or three people to establish the evidence of the charge there that they've wandered away from the truth, and if that person will still not repent and come back to the truth, then you take it to the church. Why? Because following Jesus is a community project. We are responsible to and for one another. I want to share another cross-reference by Paul in Galatians 6, in verse 1. Very similar teaching to what Jesus taught and to what James taught in our text today. Paul says this in Galatians 6, verse 1. Again, brothers, there's the familial language, brothers and sisters, those who are followers of Jesus. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, that word spiritual, don't let that confuse you and think that that's like some elite form of Christianity. Spiritual, if you were to read Galatians 5, means that you are walking in the Spirit. In other words, this is not a response of the flesh. This is not to shame the person or to somehow one-up on the person or to expose their sin so that you somehow feel better about yours. No, you are walking in the Spirit in this pursuit. You who are spiritual or walking in the Spirit should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness is what characterized Jesus. Then he says this, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Why? Because sin is contagious. You don't want to catch that cold. So as you go to try to restore and bring somebody back to the truth, consider yourself and keep watch over yourself and make sure that you too are surrounded by your gospel community so that you don't end up catching what they got and so that you can restore them back to that place of communal truth. We take restoration very seriously. It's a top priority. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story in three parts, and the first part of that story is about a shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. It's a top priority. And then when that shepherd finds and rescues that one and brings that, shepherd or that sheep back to the fold of the 99, what does he do? He throws a party. He doesn't shame that sheep. He doesn't punish that sheep. He doesn't cause that sheep to feel guilty or bring that sheep in front of the whole congregation on the stage and cause them to feel shame for all that they did and the wickedness that they lived in. No, he just simply calls all the neighbors and all the friends and says, hey, listen, I've got this sheep and the sheep was lost and now it's found. Come celebrate with me because the lost has come home. And that should be the spirit in a gospel community when a wanderer is brought back to the truth. This, this is a serious issue. It's a top priority. So we are going to make a big deal about pursuing people. We're going to make a big deal about preaching the truth of the gospel and then calling people to live according to the truth of the gospel. And then we're going to make a really big deal about going after those who've wandered from the truth because we love them too much to let them continue to stray and to bring them back to the truth because maybe next week it's going to be me. And I'm the one who's wandered. And I need somebody to love me enough to come to me and say, this is not who you are in Christ. Come back to the truth of the gospel. This is a big deal for us. 
We take restoration seriously. This is what gospel communities do. And if there is a gathering of people who are not doing this, I would offer to you that they are not a gospel community. They might be an assembly. They might be a gathering. They might even call themselves a church. But if they are not going after those who have wandered from truth to bring them back, they are not a reflection of what the New Testament intended for us to be as the people of God. Faithfully following Jesus is a community project. Because spiritual drift is a real threat. It could be any one of us. Restoration back to the truth is top priority. And then number three. Because rescue is a critical mission. We're talking life or death, folks. It's critical. I want you to see this in verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You know what's so beautiful about this is that God uses rescued people to rescue people. Like he wants you. You are the agent in this mission impossible venture to go after the wanderer. You are the one. He's sending you. He's sending me. God is using us to go after this person. And you might think, why, this, what's going on here? This is gospel language at work here. I want you to see what happens here. He says, he says when, when someone goes after the one who has wandered to rescue them, to bring them back to the truth, it says he will save his soul from death. Death is the ultimate end and the ultimate consequence. It's the ultimate destination of sin. If you recall in chapter 1, James says that when desire has conceived, it, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, when it is completely matured, when it's exhausted itself in your life, it brings forth death. And so to rescue someone who has wandered away is to save his soul from death, but it's also to cover a multitude of sins. That word cover means to hide or to conceal. Now understand, this is not sweeping sin under the rug. This has the idea of forgiveness. Paul says that love covers a multitude of sins. The covering of the sin here is not ignoring what happened, but it's forgiving and bringing them back again in that spirit of gentleness like Paul talked about in Galatians 6. We're not trying to shame these people or cause them to feel worse for what they did. They've repented. They've come back to the truth. And so now we are, we are covering, we are hiding, we are allowing them to continue walking towards the truth. But he also says that this person will cover a multitude of sins. Not just one or two, but many. I want to illustrate this for you this morning. I've got a couple of guys that are going to help me with this. I want to illustrate what's going on in these verses because here's the reality. Sin is rarely an isolated event. Remember that progression? I mentioned it just a moment ago in James chapter 1. We studied this, I don't know, like 12 weeks ago. And I put a slide up on the screen and I showed you that, that progression of sin, that there is, uh, there is conception and then gestation and then creation and then maturation and then destruction. That's the progression of sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. So sin doesn't happen in isolation. So I've got these three guys here. I've got Chris, I've got Paul, I've got Joel, and they are walking this way in gospel unity, in gospel community towards the truth. They're in a life group together. 
They're keeping each other accountable. They're praying for one another. They, they know about each other's marriage struggles or personal struggles. They've even shared like finances together. They're encouraging one another to pursue Jesus and his kingdom progress together. They're doing life as God intended for us to do, and they're doing it together. But then there's this moment in Joel's mind when, when there is this conception of sin and a thought appears and he turns from that gospel community. He turns away from the truth and he allows that thought to take seed and take root in his mind. Well, sin never just happens in isolation. It never stops there. So a thought leads to an action and one action leads to another action. And that action leads to another action, and before long, here's Joel, and he has wandered very far from where he was in his gospel community over here with these brothers who were pursuing Jesus. Now one thing leads to another, leads to another, and these sinful decisions have caused him to wander away. And again, Joel might not even notice that this drift has taken place. But what James is saying is that Joel doesn't need to notice as much as Paul needs to notice. And so his gospel community here, Paul realizes that Joel has drifted. Where's he been? I don't know. He hasn't been coming to life group, hasn't been responding to my text. And so Paul, in the spirit of Christ and the gospel, goes to Joel to rescue him, to call him to confession and repentance. And then Joel and Paul come back to that place of truth and to that place of gospel community. Now with Chris again, and now they're walking together in truth. But I want to ask you a question. When Paul came to rescue Joel, which sins did he rescue Joel from? Well, he rescued him from these that he committed. And he rescued him from this one that he was in the middle of. But he rescued him from those too. The ones that had not yet been committed. So to cover a multitude of sins is not just the ones that were done, but the ones that could have continued to happen if someone like Paul did not love Joel enough to come and pursue him in his wandering to say, I love you too much to let you continue down that road because I know where that road leads. And as Pastor James has taught us, ultimately it will lead to death. So what is this that's happening every time someone like Paul goes after someone like Joel in a gospel community? We have literally put on display the gospel of Jesus Christ because understand that Jesus is the one that came to us. We were wandering and lost in our sin. Jesus the one that is the one that came to save our soul, not just from the death of more sin, but also the eternal death of damnation and separation from him. And Jesus came to cover our sins, but not just the past ones and not just the present one, but all of the future ones as well. So every time this takes place in a church like ours, we put the gospel on display again. This is what we are called to do, church, to live life like Jesus, and Jesus pursues wanderers. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your help. What's going on here in this verse? i got to be honest. I wrestled verse 20 just a little bit because of several things. He calls this person a sinner. And then he uses language that is very much paralleled with the gospel. Bringing a sinner back from his wandering, saving his soul from death, covering a multitude of sins. That really sounds like somebody that never knew Jesus to begin with. So what is happening here? Is this a Christian who has wandered 
from the truth and is being restored back to the truth? Or is this somebody that was among us? Yes, they were coming to church, but they were never truly a follower of Jesus. And they've wandered away from the truth because they never believed the truth. And somebody from the community pursued them. And so this is actually not just restoration. This is salvation. Which one is it? I don't know. But I don't know that it matters. It matters, but here's why I don't think it matters as much to us. Because our response should be the same. I don't know what's going on in the heart of this person who's wandered away. Have they truly been converted and born again through the Spirit of God? I don't know. Have they just sort of got snagged up and caught up in sin and started to wander? I don't know. But for us as a gospel community, our call is the same. We go after wanderers. Because we used to be a wanderer. Rescued people, rescued people. That's what God has called us to. And if in this moment of rescue, if this person for the first time is being illuminated and understanding the truth of the gospel and coming to saving faith in Jesus, so be it. Christ is glorified. But if this person has just been duped and deceived and they've wandered and now they need to come back and remember again the gospel that they once received before, Christ is glorified in that as well. And either way, we have responded properly as the people of God to that person who has wandered away. So here is my call to us as a church. Engage in the rescue mission. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't think that somebody else will do it. Don't think that, well, this is for the pastors or this is for those in leadership at the church. This is anyone among you, everyone among you. We are called to live this kind of a life, to rescue the wanderer. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That is each one of us in our hearts, and yet we have an advantage. Because we are not called to isolation to do this Christian life alone. But we are called to community. And so this big idea, again, is that faithfully following Jesus is a community project. Spiritual drift is a real threat. It could literally be any one of us. Restoration is a high priority. We're going to pursue hard after the one who has left the 99. And this rescue mission is a, is, is a critical mission because there's a lot at stake. So Pastor James, boy, he's helped us, hasn't he? 16 weeks. He has just taken us sermonette by sermonette. It almost seems like these are some of his best outlines from his preaching series. You know, he's just kind of throwing them into this letter to send this letter to these scattered believers who had been persecuted, who were under a lot of pressure and suffering. We've seen that all through the book. He's about to sign it and seal it and send it off to them, but he's got one final admonition. He has been admonishing them. He has been speaking into their life. He has been seeking to rescue them from their wandering, and now he says, I'm done writing. And so I am leaving that responsibility of rescue in your hands now. You now are responsible to one another and for one another to be the advantage of gospel community so that when one of you or when you yourself wander from the truth, you will not be left separated and distant from that truth, but somebody will pursue you and bring you back to that truth. Church family, let's not neglect our responsibility, our gospel responsibility to one another. So we want to learn to live here because we want to make application. We don't just want to learn to learn. We don't just want to get fat with knowledge. But we want to make application on this truth. Three questions as we conclude. My first question is this. Are you 
connected to gospel community? Are you connected? If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, there is only one way for you to be connected, and that is through the finished work of Christ. It is only because of what Jesus has done for you, not because of your religion or your tradition or your best effort or even your spirituality. It is because of what Christ has accomplished. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, if you have not yet had your sin forgiven through faith in Christ, would you today trust him alone? If you are a follower of Jesus and you're not connected to the gospel community, now's the time. Now's the time. Don't just come. Get connected. Get integrated in. Allow this spiritual family to be this advantage in your life. Number two, in what ways are you bringing an advantage to gospel community? You. How are you being an advantage to somebody else in the room? Yes, we're all grateful when the gospel community is an advantage to us. We're all appreciative of that. We're all thankful for that. But how are you? being an advantage to somebody else in your gospel community. Maybe God's put somebody on your heart. Maybe you've noticed somebody that's wandered. Maybe somebody that was here that's not here. And and God wants you to be that agent of change and pursuit in their life to go after them. And then number three, who needs you to help bring them back? To help bring them back to the truth. To help bring them back to the gospel community. Maybe it's a believer who's wandered away. Maybe it's someone who's never put faith in Jesus and God wants you to go after them and to share the truth of Christ and for you to be the one with the message of the gospel on your lips. How beautiful are the feet of those who take that. You are the agent of that saving message of grace. And God wants you to take that message this week to a coworker, to a friend, to a neighbor and to share what Christ has done in your life so that they might be able to respond and come to saving faith in Jesus as well. Faithfully following Jesus. It's a community project, which means every one of us must be involved. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you thank you for the book of James. We thank you for the truth that we have sat in and sat under week after week after week. How we have been admonished, how we have been instructed, how we have even been corrected by the very straightforward preaching of Pastor James. And as he concludes this letter and finalizes this address, I pray that we would allow the Spirit of God to call us to the same gospel community that James was calling these Christians to. That we would be there for one another. Concerned and caring and even pursuing when someone has wandered away. God, I pray that you would do something special in this church because of our response to this truth. If there's somebody here today and they're not yet a follower of Jesus, I pray that I pray that they would sense even in this time and even in the last hour and even in this message that you are pursuing them and desire for them to come to faith in Christ alone. So Lord, do whatever you desire to do and be glorified through it. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. 
Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.